welcome to the Wicked Good Momcast, a podcast for Boston moms by Boston moms. A space to hear stories from real moms, to celebrate the beauty of motherhood, and to normalize its challenges. Tune in while you fold laundry, commute to work or school, or get cozy after a long day in the trenches. Motherhood is hard, but it doesn't have to be lonely. You are a Wicked Good Mom. And now, here are your Wicked Good Momcast hosts, Megan and Shannon. The mission of Boston Moms is to prove that while motherhood is hard, it doesn't have to be lonely. We have to imagine that being the parent to a transgender child can be isolating. Boston Moms is a platform for all moms, so we want to know, how can we best support moms in our transgender community? Today, we're talking to a local author and mom, Mimi LeMay. In her memoir, What We Will Become, Mimi shares her transgender child's odyssey and her journey outside the boundaries of faith and culture that shaped her. This is such an important conversation as we continually strive to learn more and be inclusive of all families. Hello, Boston moms. There is so much to unpack on today's episode, and we are very grateful that you are listening. Megan and I cannot begin to tell you how excited we are for our guest today. We have both been reading her book, and we have the utmost respect for this local mom and her family. Mimi, welcome. Would you mind introducing yourself to our listeners? Thank you, Shannon and Megan. It's a pleasure and an honor to be with you and your audience today. My name is Mimi LeMay. I'm a mom of three kiddos, two dogs and a hedgehog, (laughs) and I live on the North Shore of Massachusetts. Since my middle son, Jay, transitioned at the age of four years old, I've been an advocate for transgender youth here in Massachusetts and nationally through the Human Rights Campaign. Our oldest child, who is in the memoir referred to as ELLA, has been on their own gender journey since 2020 and now identifies as non-binary, which is something that I'm sure we'll be talking about a little bit later. Mm -hmm. And I also have a cisgender daughter, Lucia. And by cisgender, I mean she identifies the same as her assigned sex. From reading your book, it's obvious that you're clearly a gifted writer. What led you to put down your story on paper like this? Well, when Jay transitioned in 2014, and um, I'm going to always provide definitions for our listeners because I don't know, you know, at what point um, of understanding about these issues they are. Um, When I say transitioned for a young child, it just means a social transition that's changing name, pronouns, maybe outward appearance to match the gender they identify with. Mm -hmm. So when he transitioned in 2014, our experience felt like a very private miracle. And what I mean by that is the child that over the previous two years or so had become very insistent and persistent and consistent that he was a boy, despite what we thought was evidence to the contrary at the time, and also had a visible decline in his mental health. Mm. When we finally understood that we shouldn't be preventing him from living his authentic life and we gave him permission to do so, and he chose in his own words to be a boy always, a boy named Jacob, Mm -hmm. what followed was nothing short of a resurrection of his spirit. And I speak not only as a mother, but also as a person of deep faith. My faith is Judaism. Mm -hmm. But I think in many faiths, we have uh, an understanding or a narrative of resurrection where, you know, 
the the body or the spirit being uh, put under immense pressure, um, harm is is then comes to life, mm-hmm. and that harm is lifted, and that is what we saw with Jay. I call him Jay and Jacob interchangeably. Mm-hmm. He came to life, mm-hmm. Megan and Shannon. I I don't even know how to convey the difference in his step. You know, mm-hmm. the lightness in his step, the joy that he took in. You know, engaging with friends and people outside our home in a way that he hadn't before. He just came out of his shell and once again became the happy child that he had been previous to his own journey to discover and to acknowledge and express his gender. And we felt pretty safe at that time. So this was 2014 when he uh, transitioned socially. And in Massachusetts, we're fairly liberal. Mm -hmm. I know uh, that's come under question quite a few times, but uh, for the most part, we have a state that uh, either did protect or would soon protect Jay's rights. Uh, And I knew that there was discrimination in other parts of the country. I knew that the statistics were pretty gruesome for transgender people in terms of, you know, being denied health care or housing being ostracized by families and communities um, and the negative mental health outcomes. But I kind of felt like I was in a bubble. Mm -hmm. Um, Jay was happy. He was happier than we'd ever seen him before. Most of our friends stuck with us. I would say if there's a friend who didn't stick with us, I don't know who it is because they probably just dropped off the map and I didn't notice. Mm -hmm. Um, We struggled a little bit to explain to family members what it meant to be trans and and so that was, you know, an early period of, of some challenge. However, overall, we felt like we had made it through to the other side. And it's important to note that we were also at the time under an administration, which was signaling some pretty progressive policies coming down the pike or already having been enacted for trans people. Mm-hmm. Right. And then it was a few days before New Year, uh, New Year's 2015. So at the very tail end of 2014, Jay had already transitioned for nine months. And I woke up one morning and started to flip through the news on my phone and saw the headlines of the suicide of a young trans girl named Leela Alcorn, who lived in Ohio. She had, and I have to preface this with a trigger warning, these words are disturbing, she had walked onto a highway in front of a truck and had ended her life. And she had left a note that her friends posted online for her talking about the hopelessness, the isolation, the fact that her parents had tried to send her to conversion therapy, which is a discredited practice that tries to um, shame or coerce a young person away from either a gender identity or a sexual orientation that is unwanted by the parents. Um, And she left, and I don't know what uh, what your policy is on swearing, but um, her final words were, society is fucked up. Somebody has to fix it. And I took that, I took that call to heart. Um, It really brought home to me a few things. Uh, first of all, that my sense of safety with Jay was false mm-hmm. um, because this wasn't an isolated incident with Leela. Um, 
there were whole parts of the countries that hadn't banned conversion therapy where the narrative was being trans was a choice. Being Mm -hmm. trans wasn't healthy. It was a mental illness. It was a delusion. I'm saying all these words and they're horrific. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, that, that was creeping into our society alongside the beginning of some visibility for trans people. And the conversations that I was seeing online following Leela's tragic death were really disheartening, some of them, um, because a lot of people didn't understand why the parents didn't have a right to tell their child how to live. Mm. Um, and a lot of folks didn't understand how a 17-year-old could know their gender identity. Mm-hmm. So I think what was happening was there was a conflation of gender identity with some kind of lifestyle choice. And having been on a long journey myself to understanding the term and coming from a place of ignorance, I kind of got why there was a, a lot of um, lack of understanding on this topic. And I was also seeing people say things like, God doesn't make mistakes. He, you're either born male or female, and um, that's what you remain, and that's how God intended you to be. And having grown up in a very religious Jewish environment, and having witnessed my son's resurrection, mm-hmm. I thought I had something to contribute to that discussion. And I also wanted people to know that not only could someone like Leela know what their gender identity was, and by this I mean deeply held understanding, integral, core understanding of who you are in relation to gender. Not only could she understand that at the age of 17, but my newly, soon to be newly minted five-year-old son also knew his gender identity. It wasn't simply a matter of me bending to a toddler's whims, um, but that we had struggled ourselves to understand Jay, to understand his needs, and had along the way educated ourselves about gender identity in young people and the kind of supports that they needed. And so coming from that place of having suddenly lost our security, sense of security, realizing how bad the discrimination was, not just for our son, but for all those young people out there, you know, you, you don't choose to have a trans kid. Trans kids are born into families uh, where the parents are, are, are atheists and they're born into families where the parents are, you know, ministers in an evangelical church, right? Mm-hmm. They're born to Republicans. They're born to Democrats. They're born in the Southern states. They're born in, in the coastal or in East, in Northeast coast, right? Um, and so it felt to me that there was a real dearth of education. And, um, and one way that I felt that I could fill that hole was to share our story. So in early 2015, I wrote a letter to Jay on his, Jacob on his fifth birthday. Um, and with his permission, I posted that on medium.com mm-hmm. and it soon went viral. Um, and, you know, we found ourselves part of that national conversation. You are so honest and vulnerable in your telling of this story from a mom's point of view, which we appreciate so much. And I know there are going to be moms listening who this means the world to them. Um, You talk about the dreams you had for your little girl when she was born, but also the fear that you had for your son in our world as he transitioned. And honestly, I was reading your book thinking 
this is exactly what I would be thinking and feeling too, but I don't know if I would be brave enough to be transparent with all of that. So thank you so much again for putting a voice behind what other moms might be going through too and normalizing that you can be supportive of your child and still work through your own grief and feelings around it. So I think it's important to understand that the two can coexist together. Can you explain more of what the transition season was like for you and for Jay, for any of our listeners who haven't read your story yet? That's a great question. And um, it was important for me to be, like you say, completely above board about the experience because um, I know that readers can see authenticity. They can Mm -hmm. feel it. Um, And if I were to come out and say, rah, rah, I knew what to do. We did it. It was great. There was no pain. There was no challenge. There was no confusion and suffering during this process. Um, I know that that wouldn't be authentic and it would not make the impact that I wanted it to have. Um, And I think it's really important for parents to feel validated on the full range of emotions that they may experience. Um, And also, I think it's important to have a word of caution that the feelings that we have might need to be processed um, without inadvertently and unintentionally burdening our transitioning youth mm-hmm. with right. those feelings. So I, I am going to make that caveat, but um, I did learn a term that has n- not only been helpful for me and for the parents that I talk to who are going through transitions, but it's also been helpful to me to understand grief in other areas of life uh, where things aren't so simple. It's not, it's not, there's no death. There's no actual burial. Um, we have something called ambiguous grief Mm. or ambiguous loss. And if you look up the definition of that, it's a loss that occurs without a significant likelihood of reaching emotional closure or a clear understanding. Now, in our case, um, I feel that over the years, my understanding has become really clear. And in some ways, I am rebuilding those original thoughts and dreams that came with the assumption I had a daughter with the actual real and, and um, vital alive dreams, memories, and enjoyment of having a son, my son, Jay. Mm -hmm. But we cannot deny that in those first four years for myself and for other folks, even longer, sometimes we have our perception about who our children are. Sure. Um, and we're frequently incorrect <laughs> about a lot of things. As you know, uh, parenting is, is one of those, uh, one of those spin the wheel kind of uh, situations frequently where we, we don't get what we expect, uh, but we don't get upset or we do, <laughs> but we get over it. Um, but in the case of Jay, I felt at that moment realizing he needed to transition, realizing that he had probably always seen himself as a boy and not been able to articulate how that felt with everyone else treating him like a girl and that kind of sense of shame and disconnect that he was experiencing that we call gender dysphoria, mm-hmm. that I he needed to be allowed to transition. But that did, did a number on me emotionally because... I had always known him and I used the pseudonym in my book as M, right? Mm -hmm. That's not actually the name I'd given him at birth, but we chose that name as a kind of stand-in for the 
sake of telling the story. Um, and M was real to me up to a certain point and um, continued to come to me in my dreams. Um, and there was a, a crossover, a transition, a slow uh, movement towards healing that took over a year, I would say, if not longer. And every once in a while, I'll still be struck by a photo or, or memory. And I know that that's Jay, but your brain plays tricks on you and, um, you know, immediately can bring you back to that place where you thought you had a little girl and that little girl was so cute and, you know, her dresses and, and had her own little gumptious personality. Um, and, and there is that sense that they're, you know, you, you lost something, um, but go working through these things uh, with a therapist, with a close friend, with supportive family members is essential uh, for the parents to be able to go through this process as quickly and thoroughly as possible in order to be fully present and joyful in their children's transition. Because for a child transitioning, uh, they may hold a lot of concerns and guilt towards the parent if sure. they see the parent's grief. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and this is a moment where for them, they're coming to life, as I saw with my mm-hmm. son and his his newfound joy. And for me to um, kind of rain on that parade with, oh my God, I lost you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and And they're standing there right in front of me saying, no mom, this is who I really am. Yeah. I think that that w- could be devastating for a young person. So I urge parents to get absolutely to talk through their feelings with other adults um, and to make a space for joy with your young people who transition because you will get through this period. Uh, you will in their happiness and their well-being as it grows and you see that this was the right choice um, will give you the comfort and the, and the healing that you need. I think that's just so powerful, honestly. And so in our, the, the reason we wanted to do this podcast is because we feel very strongly that there's something missing here. So there's something in our, in our supportive moms and parents in our communities, you know, we are um, we're calling on parents to be to have homes that are more accepting and to raise children who are more accepting. But there is something missing where we think like, well, how do we support the parents of children who are trans- transitioning? So you talk a lot about the uh, initial grief um, and then the joy you found. But, you know, we really wanted to lean into how can our community, uh, you know, we all eventually probably will know somebody in our circles who who walks through this and how can we make sure that we are supportive? So I, I just really applaud you for being so, um, I guess, so transparent in all of this in, in walking us and your readers through your journey, because I think it's in- incredibly helpful, both for parents who will walk it, but also for the community to understand sort of what you need. Um, so I'm wondering, uh, we had a lot, we have a lot of questions we could ask here, but I'm going to skip ahead a little bit because I'd love to hear a little bit about how um, Jay's siblings, your extended family, and your friends, how they rallied around you uh, since his transition and what those relationships are like present day. So for those people in the very inner circle, this uh, transition was a long time coming. I think actually um, 
allowing the transition to happen felt very quick for us. But mm-hmm. in terms of the questions of, is this kid transgender? Will they be transgender one day? And again, clearly reflecting my limited understanding at the time of, of the age at which children understand their gender identity, which is between two to four years old, they begin to build that understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, it was kind of like a way off. <laughs> it was this kid, this kid behavior. It started with this kid is so quirky, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, insisting on being that they are a boy insisting on everything in their life be be stereotypically boy um you know throwing the tantrums over it being so um so uh resistant to any kind of uh discussion on the topic you know well your body you know looks like this and that means this you know just saying nope i got this right you got this wrong which to his credit that he insisted. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so a lot of my friends had been kind of privy to that piece of it um, and definitely family members. Um, but I think actually transitioning a child at the age of four in 2014 probably felt like a crazy move to some people. Um, and it did it even did to us. I mean, it, it was it was uh, it was a Hail Mary in a sense where we could see our child was declining emotionally. We knew the statistics mm-hmm. and we just we we took what we thought was the novel step at the time, which was um, if every additional day that a child isn't affirmed in their identity is one in which they imbibe shame and psychological harm, then we cannot afford to wait until some perfect time when they're, quote unquote, old enough to transition. Sure. Um, and so you know, the actual ripping off of the Band-Aid probably felt surprising to a lot of our friends and family, uh, with the exception of maybe the very closest, like the grandmothers, um, except my mom, (laughs) who we kind of hadn't gone through the whole process with because she, and is is still ultra-Orthodox Jewish, and um, we were a little bit worried about how that would translate to her. But, Mm -hmm. you know, within a few weeks, she came along. My mother-in-law was supportive from the start. Um, and she comes from a deep Catholic faith, um, but, you know, the kind of faith where, you know, it's about the principles of keeping people well and whole mm-hmm. and seeing everybody as divine. Um, and so she could see that Jay needed this for his for his soul. Um, and friends, you know, they ask questions. Uh, some of them ask more questions than others. Some of them ask questions that they pr- probably wouldn't ask today mm-hmm. <laughs> about, you know, the medical care and stuff like that. Um but um, I think overall, folks, you know, listened, they looked stuff up, they read the articles we shared with them from, you know, the major child development organizations and, and medical organizations about um, supporting trans youth as being the standard of care. Mm-hmm. And we came along. I mean, People made mistakes in the beginning. There was misgendering and using the wrong pronouns. And a very dear friend called out um, Jay's dead name. We call it a dead name. Very loudly once at a party. And we all froze and didn't know what the hell to do. (laughs) But we muddled our way through. And um, I did feel very supported. And when I think the first time that I saw some genuine friction came not at the level of supporting Jay, but it's when we became advocates for transgender rights mm-hmm. and we started talking out. Yeah. And that's when I saw uh, some folks from our extended family start to become uncomfortable. 
Um, by which I mean, um, you know, we would say, oh, we just got off of an interview where we talked about this, or I'd, I, I'd mention something casually and it would kind of be like crickets, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they never asked about what we were doing or who we were talking to, um, you know, when we were very much involved in um, the trans law in, in Massachusetts, the public accommodations law back in 2016 and 15. And then came the election, uh, the run-up to the election in 2016 uh, when when Donald Trump was elected as president. And that's when the conversations got a little uh, heated. Um, And it was over questions of how do you support a person who is not going to protect transgender rights? Um, And unfortunately, we did see um, a schism in our family in 2016, which a lot of folks went through as well. And so I think of it as it felt the the most hurtful thing felt like they thought it was politics that we were arguing about. And mm-hmm. I knew I was argu- arguing or fighting for my son's life. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of parents in our position feel that, that um, there's a perception that whether or not you think trans kids should be supported with whatever manner of care that they need at any given stage is a matter of opinion. Um, and there's, you know, I, there's a woman in my town who, who believes that very strongly and has a child who has wanted to transition. And, um, she has brought up, uh, you know, subreddit and Reddit, uh, threads about people who detransition and regret transitioning, for example, as evidence that children shouldn't be supported um, or a study that was not peer reviewed or mm-hmm. um, and where most of the information was collected from uh, a survey monkey. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then and then I'm out there, you know, hawking my American Academy of Pediatrics 20 page <laughs> study with about a hundred 50 uh, notes, notations. um, And I'm feeling like people are saying, well, I guess it all comes down to a matter of opinion. And um, it really doesn't. Right. I mean, the science is there. You clearly have done the research. And I'm going, I'm going off script here just a minute. I wasn't sure if I was going to share this story, but your family luckily (laughs) has been overall supportive, it seems. Um, You do have family members like looking at real information with you. And I want to just kind of share the flip side of that because not, unfortunately, not every transgendered person is so fortunate. Um, So my husband and I hail from a very conservative state and we were visiting family last summer um, and we were staying with my mom. So like the kids went down to bed and I was like, oh my gosh, do you want to go to Target together? We can like leave them here with our family and go do something together in the evening time, which never happens if you have young kids like we do. So he was like, yeah, let's do it. So we go to Target and it was June. So it's Pride Month. And Target last year, I don't know if they've done this previously, but I know last year all the Targets had um, a little section of Pride clothing so there were t-shirts and shorts and flip-flops and, you know, rainbow flag, everything. And of course, in this little, you know, small town, everything, it was fully stocked. No one had touched um, this section. And so 
wanting to support, you know, we were like, let's get our son a t-shirt. So we're looking at t-shirts and I saw this person, he was like watching us from a distance and he finally came over and he said, you know, this is like for gay pride month, right? And we were like, yeah, that's kind of why we're here, like why we're looking at it. And he was like, no, but this is like to support like LGBTQ people. And we said, yes, which we do. And so his eyes got really big and he kind of walked off and we're still looking and he comes back over and he was like, okay, like, are your kids gay? And we said, well, we don't know yet. Like they're very young. We don't know yet, but if they are, that's fine. And if they're not, they're going to be raised to be allies. And again, his eyes are huge. He's kind of like in disbelief. And so he walks off and he comes back again And then he tells us, he said, well, I identify as transgender. And he was like, I haven't transitioned yet, um, but I really want to. And he starts telling us his story. Number one, apparently we were the fourth couple that he had approached. And the other three couples response to him when he told them that that was the section for gay pride was, oh, ew. Oh, okay, we're leaving, which crushed me. And I looked at him and I said, no, I said, you are beautiful. We affirm you. We support you. And I am so sorry that that was the response you got from others. And living where he lives, it wasn't surprising to him. I think, unfortunately, our response was what was surprising to him. Um, Anyway, we talked to him for a little bit. It turns out like his parents are not supportive. He's getting bullied in school. Um, His extended family doesn't understand him. Again, like you said, they think it's a choice that he's making. Um, Just very, very hurtful things. And we got in the car and I burst into tears because for me, and and I think Mimi, you're like this too. Like, how could you not fight for your child? And I know everyone is on their own journey, but I just want to kind of share that flip side that there, there is a section, unfortunately, that are not willing to advocate and fight for their children the way that you have and the way you are. And you're not only fighting for your child, you're fighting for other other kids too and other youth. So again, thank you. And that's part of why this conversation is so important. Thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you so much for being that person for that young young man. Um and and I I think that that's what I caught that his gen you know his gender identity was he was a trans male right yes yeah. um and um you know I I want to share a positive statistic that you know we do know that transgender youth have really high attempted suicide rates because of discrimination at school mm-hmm. and at home and their their faith communities and in other places but there's also a flip side there's a statistic that with one supportive adult. Mm-hmm. that someone can turn to that number that 40 within the 40s range percent of people who attempt suicide goes down by itself by 40%. So it's cut nearly in half. Wow. wow. That's incredible. Um, and that's the the but to to when when folks say, "Oh, this is you must be so scared or this is, you know, this is so hopeless um, because we are in an era where there's a lot of pushback mm-hmm. against transgender rights. And it's kind of become, um, unfortunately it's become, uh, you know, part of the, the, uh, the platform and mm-hmm. the, um, 
the rally cry Mm -hmm. to a lot of conservative politicians for them. I mean, and, um, but the flip side of that is every person who is educated or everyone who has a decent heart like you do and said, even if my kids don't turn out to be gay or trans, I'm going to make sure they're allies. Mm -hmm. That really makes a difference. When you think about that, you've cut that in half a person, you know, one person in their life and a person is far less likely to attempt suicide and feel hopeless. And so I think for that young man on that day, you were that person. It's also powerful, honestly. And I think, so one of the things I, as parents, I think um, we're all just trying to love our children the best way we can. And it's okay if that love is imperfect. So imperfect love is still love and being able to support them in a way and, and, you know, on your own journey and figuring out what works and doesn't work and being open to, to change, I think is huge and part of that imperfect love. So Mimi, when you look back, because I want to make sure that our listeners, hopefully they're taking both, they're taking many things from this conversation. They're taking a, you know, how to be a better ally, how to be a mom of, of a child who may transition, but also I want them to feel like they're getting, gaining something about being a community member for moms who are uh, parents of transitioning children. So when you look back, what are some of the, some acts of love and support that you received that stand out to you and meant the most to you as a mom? So we want to know how can moms in our community support you and other moms of transgender children? What can we be doing to lift you up, to make you and your family feel safe and to make you feel seen? Thank you so much for asking that question. And I think it's more important than ever because, um, just to drop another figure out there, you know, right now across the U.S., there are at least 330 anti-transgender bills, many of which are targeting children in schools. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about anti-trans sports bills uh, for youth that want to just play with their peers. Um, and we're talking about curriculum control so that trans youth do not see themselves represented and feel alienated in the classroom And we're also talking about the anti-trans medicalization bills where a young person might not have access to what doctors have deemed life-saving care, Mm -hmm. right? And so putting that all together, we're in an environment that's really hostile in some ways um, towards trans youth. And even if you live in Massachusetts, you're feeling it. Mm -hmm. Um, You're feeling it as part of this overall discussion, like I said earlier, that seems to pit one side versus the other is being equivalent in terms of facts and data and information. Um, And so I found, and one of the most beautiful things anyone ever did for me was it was the mom of Jay's very best friend since he was before kindergarten, probably. Um, And she knew that Jay wasn't ready to come out to her son. Um, And so she didn't talk about it. Now we had already done, you know, some public advocacy and Jay had happily engaged in that, but it kind of, it felt different than, you know, the conversations he was having with his friends and his friends weren't really talking to him about it. So he kind of maintained a kind of uh, semi-stealth anonymity in his personal life while also engaging in, in advocacy on the big, on a big scale. But this particular friend didn't know. And so as Jay got older and kids kind of got meaner at school he started to express fear. What if this friend finds out one day that I'm trans? And I said, well, this friend will just love you no matter what. Um, And 
sure enough, that day came and it came years later. So Jay's been friends with this kid since he was five or six. And we're talking about uh, when Jay turned 10, Mm -hmm. right? And somebody in the school said to this best friend, and now they weren't in the same school anymore, but they were constant communicating. um, Did you know that your friend Jay is transgender? And the kid hadn't realized it. And so he came home and he said, I didn't realize Jay was transgender. And I said to the mom, because I heard that he heard through the grapevine, I was like, oh my God, do you need me to come explain to, to this kid, um, to the friend, I, I can be there in like half an hour. I'll tell him what being trans means. Do you want, do you need a book to explain it? How can I support this? Is he upset? Does he, is he, does he not want to talk to Jay? Um, and I, all my mom fears just came up to the surface mm-hmm. and this mom said, no, it, it was, it was no big deal. Um, this kid didn't care at all and just said, oh, that's cool. How do I, you know, what does that mean to Jay? I wonder, I wonder how Jay feels about that. Um, and she said, I've been talking about transgender people for years <laughs> because I knew, I knew this was going to happen one yeah. day. And I just wanted to make sure my kids knew what it was and had some respect for it. Yeah. And I just, I burst into tears. Um, it was all of my fears, you know, about how this really important interaction would go mm-hmm. were just removed because one mom had the foresight to tell her kids what it meant to be transgender before the world could tell them, yeah, you know, conflicting disinformation. That's and so that's a beautiful way for a mom to show up for another mom. How can we as moms ensure a safer world for your child and children like him? What can we be saying or doing with our own kids so that they will be inclusive of people who are different from them? I think that we need to teach kids the truth about gender identity from a very young age, that it is complicated and it is not just, you know, a matter of assigned sex. Mm -hmm. Um, And as they grow and develop and become more um, capable of understanding complicated scientific things, you know, we should be teaching our children in the school and outside the school that there's a lot of things that make up somebody's gender and there's a lot of things that make up somebody's assigned sex. And we're talking about chromosomes and hormones and um, internal and external genitalia and that there are intersex people. Mm-hmm. So when we go through this discussion on puberty um, and if when we go through discussion about bodies, um, we need to make sure that kids know that there is a huge variety in all those things that I stated. And it is not so simple as an XX chromosome makes you a girl and an XY makes you a boy, because that is absolutely untrue. In fact, interesting scientific fact, there's about 150 varieties on the XX and XY chromosome (laughs) um, in existence. So so complicating gender um, and not teaching your children stereotypes and very binary ways of looking at their gender is not, by the way, going to make them transgender, Mm -hmm. Um, but it is going to give them a respect and appreciation from the get-go for kids who are different in this way. And it goes, it extends beyond conversations at home and books that represent trans characters. It goes to the schools as well. And we are fighting a war now in schools, which many people can recognize genuinely as as science versus anti-science. And we're talking about things like 
about masking and about vaccines and mm-hmm. about teaching history that is truly uh, as it truly was experienced as opposed to, you know, whitewashing history so that our children might feel more comfortable about it. And we're seeing a, a big movement that calls itself the parental rights movement that's telling teachers not to talk about trans people and not to talk about families with, um, you know, two moms or two dads. Mm-hmm. And therefore erasing families like that and kids like my own from discussion. And so that when these kids, you know, are out or when or if they don't even feel comfortable being out, their lives are significantly reduced Mm -hmm. by the lack of awareness. So we have to push all the parents who listen to this podcast. I ask you, please push, push your school committees, push your teachers push your principals, push your superintendent Mm -hmm. to have very clear anti-bullying policies and very clear curricular education on the entire LGBTQ spectrum Mm -hmm. so that kids are seen um, and they are supported by their peers because we need to destigmatize this issue immediately. Mm -hmm. So what I'm hearing, I want to like, I just, I want to call this out. So what I'm hearing here is like what we can do as community members is to, you know, it runs a spectrum. We can be vocal. We can be going to our school committees, going to our towns, making sure that our support is heard. Um, We can be teaching at home um, about all different types of families, all different types of people, you know, just making modeling at home um, and sharing that information before, you know, as our kids are very young, which is one of the things Boston moms, we've talked about many times about having inclusive and diverse books and things at home. Um, and then, you know, on the more cellular level, if a mom in our community is walking through this, just voicing our support to her, um, and to her family and, uh, potentially depending on their level of comfort, sharing with our children and our family members, um, about the journey that you're walking through. Those are sort of, that's sort of the spectrum of support that we can offer. Is that correct? Absolutely. Education, um, whether it's at home or at school or educating your communities, standing up to disinformation, which mm-hmm. means that that one needs to understand the, the truth about these issues. So sure. looking up for credible sources. And again, I, I point to the American Academy of Pediatrics and Human Rights Campaign as, as really good sources. And also um, understanding how voting um, in local elections is going to affect um folks in the trans community sure because uh we've definitely become more polarized and candidates frequently discuss these subjects when you know they're they're running for whether it's school board or local counselor and we need to be very mindful that um these positions have effect on members of our community um and so always do never um never how do I <laughs> never stay home when you have an opportunity to vote? Sure. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. That was a very simple sentence that just, came out. Um, I yes. wrote down what you said, let gender be complicated. I love that. And I wrote that down. I think that's wonderful parenting advice. It has truly been a joy speaking with you today, Mimi, and hearing your story, learning more about Jay. What a beautiful story of a mom willing to learn and unlearn in order to advocate for her child, no matter what. 
we, I'm speaking for Shannon and I, and hopefully from all of our listeners are inspired and so grateful for you. Um, and we just want to make sure that for anyone who wants to learn more about your work or access your book, what's the best way for them to find you? Thank you so much, Shannon and Megan. It really has been a pleasure. And um, I love every time I get to have a really nuanced conversation about this. And I know that you have done all your homework and then some. um, And I can see clearly that you understand this issue so deeply and its importance. And I I am truly grateful because at this time, we need all the allies we can get. And in terms of finding my book, you can probably just Google Mimi LeMay. what we will become. There's a lot of articles out there, interviews as well. I do a lot of interviews in the Jewish community. So if you're someone of the Jewish faith and you'd like to see how, um, you know, your faith community can be supportive in a uniquely Jewish way, there's a lot of stuff out there as well. And um, my book is What We Will Become, A Mother, A Son, and A Journey of Transformation. You can get it at all major bookstores and online. And it's also an audio version that I recorded. And that (laughs) took a very long time. And I'm super proud of that. And I can't believe I did it. And um, I also have a website, MimiLeMay.com, that I haven't touched for a year because motherhood. Right. (laughs) Um, So I don't know how helpful that one will be. But I promise I will be starting to build that up. And um, I just like to put out there, and I don't always do this, but I feel really safe with you and your community because I can tell the kind of moms who come to listen to this um, that you can always email me at mimilemay at gmail.com. Thank you. love that. Well, listeners, as always, we will link all of Mimi's contact information in our show notes for you. Mimi, again, we can't thank you enough for your time and your courage and your vulnerability. At the end of Every episode, we do ask all of our guests the same question. So what are you loving about raising a family in greater Boston right now? Mm, Well, right now I'm loving two things. And one of them is what every other parent is experiencing was just the the onset of a lovely spring. We had such great weather the other day. (laughs) I live on the uh, the North Shore. We're so close to the water. I'm excited about getting into the frigid waters (laughs) of the Atlantic. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and starting to do water sports and just um, and see the brightening of the weather. And the other thing is that I am looking forward uh, to not experiencing the kind of fear and existential threat that so many of my friends mm-hmm. are experiencing in states like Texas that is um, looking into parents mm-hmm. uh, with using using government agencies like CPS to look into parents and potentially take children away who are being affirmed by their parents. Um, Truly horrific. And when I say I'm looking forward to it, I'm not looking forward to their pain or suffering, but I have a deep sense of gratitude of the privilege that I have Mm -hmm. to be living here in Massachusetts. So uh, the Northeast has been a haven for us. Um, I know families who are thinking of fleeing uh, the South right now. And, um, and I want all the parents out there to, when they do come, welcome them with open arms and, and fight as hard as you can, uh, to, to rectify this situation. I am so grateful that you all listened to me today and I hope you have an amazing summer day and a great weekend when it comes. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wicked Good Momcast. We've loved hearing from those of you who are listening and enjoying these real mom conversations. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do. And we'd love it if you could leave us a quick positive review so that we can continue reaching more moms. Until next time, remember that you are a wicked good mom.